Let me read for us just a little bit more out of John 13 this evening. Starting in verse 31, going to 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we tonight contemplate this incredible love that you have loved us with, may our hearts, may our ears, may our eyes be open to see and experience you here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what is love? How many of you, as soon as you hear this, start thinking of that Saturday Night Live skit, The Night at the Roxbury, right? What is love? Baby, don't hurt. Okay, some of you have seen it, some of you just think I'm crazy, uh, and that's okay. You know, what is love? Is, is love simply the absence of pain, not hurting someone else? Is, is love a feeling that we get from something that we really enjoy or have a great deep affinity towards? You know, last Sunday night, um, I made 45 pounds of prime rib that some of you got to enjoy. Now, some of you might say that you love prime rib, right? Does any, would anyone say that, maybe? Okay, not enough of you, apparently. Okay. I had some help, but, you know. You know, is love something that you say? Is, is love giving gifts? Is, what is love exactly? See, for as much as we like to use this term, we are people who really struggle with understanding what love is. And we often hear some verses about love read at weddings, and you might remember, uh, maybe at your wedding or maybe at a wedding that you attended, a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In verses 4 through 7, read like this. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now let me ask you a question. Who does that sound like? I'm guessing none of you are picturing me. And probably none of you are picturing yourself or maybe even your spouse as you consider what love looks like. Now, this is a question for the kids. Kids, who does that sound like? Who loves in the way that the Bible talked about like that? Abby. God. Boom. Okay, you get five stars. Whatever that's worth, right? God. 
Jesus loves like that. You know, many brides and grooms, we read that passage to one another and and we have this great ideal in our mind, I'm going to love you like that. And then what happens? Probably before the wedding night is even over, you've broken at least half, if not all, of those promises that you made to one another. But this sounds a whole lot like Jesus. And this looks a whole lot like Jesus. Let me read that again. And I'm just going to put Jesus' name in there. Okay, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. What do you think? Does that sound better? The Bible tells us that God is love. And so it's very appropriate to take God, take Jesus, put him in there, and, and to give us a picture of what the love of God looks like in the person of Jesus. See, as, as we read already earlier tonight, the Bible tells us that before the Feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his time, really his hour had come, okay, and throughout the Bible we see this word hour, and every time that's used in the book of John, it is pointing to the hour of the cross, The hour when Jesus knew what was going to happen to lay ahead of him, right? If Jesus is God, then he knows all things before they happen. And and, and before his hour had come, it said, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. See, every time Jesus, throughout the Gospels, was thinking about his hour, he was filled with fear. He's filled with anxiety. He's thinking about the pain that he's going to endure. He's he's thinking all of these things. But there was also resolve. There's determination. This is a love that would not waver. See, he loved them to the end. Not just the end of his life, but this word is, is, is talking about completion or fullness. That Jesus loved them all the way, that there is no deeper, richer, fuller, better love than the love that Jesus loved his disciples with in that moment. He loved them to perfection. And and what does perfect love look like? Well, we see it here in John chapter 13. Perfect love looks like Jesus. And and what does the love of Jesus look like? Well, Well, three things, okay? Love gets low. Love gets messy, and love gives all. So first, love gets low. And and I remember the first day of of kindergarten, uh, not my kindergarten, but but one of our girls, and of course we we walk her into kindergarten class, and this is not our first child. And so we're looking around at all the other parents and, and seeing especially the ones that's their first child to come through kindergarten, maybe it's their only child, and they've got packs of tissues with them already, and, and you know, you can walk them up to their desk, and, and they're sitting down, the poor little child doesn't know any better, they're sitting down, and then mom and dad are kind of standing over their shoulders, and, and I'm, I'm just kind of looking out, kind of scoffing, sneering at those poor, wimpy parents that they just can't hold it together. And then you know what our, our, the teacher does? She, she has everybody come down to the circle, she said, all right, boys and girls, come down. Let's, let's sit on the ground. I have to tell you something. And then she gets down low. 
looks him right in the eyes. And barely above a whisper, this is what she says, boys and girls, I'm your teacher and you are my students. Because you are in my class, I love you. And there's nothing you can do that will make me love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will make me love you less. And I start bawling. <laughs> Third child, right? And, and here's this beautiful picture of love. Oh, my goodness. And she gets down low, and they're connecting with her. And she's barely speaking, and yet the whole room is frozen just like it was now. Right? Love gets low. And so we have this picture of Jesus getting down low for his disciples. Now, if you, if you recall, if you remember, the way that, that they would have eaten this meal is on the floor. Um, it, you know, usually you don't eat on the floor, but, but there's, there's no chairs. And so everybody's kind of laying down like this with their, with their propped up. Can you see me? Okay. And you're propped up like this and your feet are behind you because your, your feet are, are, are pretty filthy and nasty from walking around. And so you've got to get low and, and everybody's down like that. And that's when Jesus gets up. And, and Jesus knew that you know, it's customary to have someone there to wash the feet of your guests when you have a meal. And there's a basin there. And there's a towel there. They've got everything needed for this to happen. But nobody to do it. See, it was never the host of the meal that would, have, that would have gotten down like this. This would be the, the lowest person, the lowest man on the totem pole. That would have been your job. Now, it wasn't commanded. It was sort of, a, it was an implied thing, right? And so as they walked in, all the disciples were kind of looking around, thinking, well, I'm better than that guy. And I'm better than him. And, and, and surely it's not going to be me that's going to have to do the foot washing. And so they just start the meal without it. Right? Nobody will make themselves low enough to do such a menial task. And what do we find? That Jesus gets up. Jesus grabs the water and the towel, and, and, and Jesus gets low. And he goes right to their feet, and he starts to go around from disciple to disciple, and we see that the room is completely silent because this is ridiculous. Nobody would do this thing that Jesus is doing for them. See, Jesus got low in other ways as well. You might remember that the people would come to Jesus with children. And there's one particular uh, account in the Bible where it, where it says that uh, people came up to Jesus with their, with, their, with their young children, so think babies, and they just wanted Jesus to bless them and to touch them and to pray for them. And, and what did the disciples say to them? No way, right? Jesus is way too important to mess around with babies, right? In their culture, babies were better not seen and not heard, like maybe some of your homes, right? You know, Jesus has lots of important things to do. Can't you see he's busy teaching, he's busy preaching, he's performing these miracles. And so as the disciples see these babies come up to him, he pushes them, they push them aside. They said, no, he's, he's too important. And of course, Jesus sees this. He immediately rebukes them and says, colloquially, right? What are you doing? Right? Don't you understand? Don't you see 
that the, you know, these children have to come to me. And if you want to be a part of my kingdom, this is, this is what Jesus says. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. See, Jesus doesn't just say, don't stop them from coming. Don't ever stop them from coming to me. See, the kingdom belongs to babies. They're exactly why I came. And if you want to be part of what I am doing, you are going to have to get low just like them. See, how do the children come to Jesus? How do these little babes come to Jesus? They come with no pretense. Right? They come with no expectations, no sense of superiority. They're not playing any games. They come all need, just like a child. It's the qualification for the kingdom of Jesus is a recognition that we are unqualified. Your worthiness in the kingdom of Jesus is a recognition that you are unworthy. And yet Jesus came low, down to our level. He's born a baby in Bethlehem. But that's not when he became God. Right? Jesus was God from the beginning. The Bible talks about him as the author of life, the, the creator of all things. By him was made everything that was made. See, he was high and lifted up over everything that ever was and ever is and ever is to come. He's perfect in power and wisdom and strength and might and all of these things. And then Jesus got low. See, he humbled himself. He did not arrive on the earth as a warrior like some of God's other angelic messengers had done at different times. He wasn't born into a palace where you would expect a king to live. He did not sit on a throne. He was not secluded in a tower somewhere. He came low. Jesus is born to a poor, unwed mother, exiled from his people, lived in a forsaken land. Jesus got low just like us because of his love. So Jesus got low, and then what happens next? Jesus got messy. Right, so, so that night at, at, at the meal, as these people are, are laying down, they've got these feet that are um, less than clean. Right? In this time, the, the, the roads weren't really paved in the way that we would think about it. It was more of a beaten dirt path. And so as you traveled, you would get dirt, rocks, sand in your sandals. And nobody was wearing Air Jordans. They all had on maybe some sandals. And, and as they would come in, they're uncomfortable, to say the least, but maybe more because who knows what you might have stepped in on the way in the door. And so you have, this, have somebody come in to wash the feet. Again, like, like we said, you can't even make a slave. You couldn't, by law, you could not make a Jewish slave wash anyone's feet. That's how demeaning and nasty and disgusting it was. And yet Jesus gets down. And he starts to wash, right? He takes, he takes the, the water. He takes off their sandals. He took off his jacket because, you know, you can't be a servant in a jacket, right? And he washes their feet and he goes around one by one by one. And, and, there's too many of you, we can't do it all tonight. Okay. 
And he goes and he, and he takes off the towel from his waist and now he's washed their feet. And of course he gets to Peter and what does Peter say? Are you kidding me? There's no way that I am going to let you get dirty from my feet. That is impossible. Right? This, is, this is so offensive. He says, never, Jesus. You will never wash my feet. You know, Jesus, I'll wash my own feet. I don't deserve to let you wash my feet. Hey, let me give that, get that water. Let me wash your feet. See, Peter, anytime someone didn't know what to say, you could always count on Peter to say something wrong. <laughs> to which Jesus said, hey, unless I wash your feet, you can have no share with me. See, you're right. You don't deserve this. But that's exactly why I came to show you that love gets messy. See, it wasn't just around the dinner table that night that Jesus got messy. The, the people who sought Jesus out weren't just children. They were the lepers and the lame and the blind and the outcasts and the rejects and, and the mentally unwell. The ones that society had cast aside, the, the ones that most people wouldn't even look at if you saw them in the street. And yet there's Jesus. He not only catches their gaze, but he comes down to embrace them, to touch the untouchable, to love the unlovable. See, Jesus loved messy people. So love gets low and love gets messy and love gives all. Probably the, the best explanation in modern culture that I've seen of, of love, the best definition is actually from the movie Frozen. Has anyone seen that? And so there's a scene in Frozen where Olaf, who is a magical snowman, is talking to Elsa, the ice queen, and this is what he says. He says, love is putting someone else's needs before yours. That's, that's pretty smart for a snowman that, that can't stop dreaming about living in the summertime. So after Jesus finished washing their feet, he said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Now, this is a huge deal. You know, God had already given the commandments, you might remember the Big Ten he gave to Moses. And, and there's many others throughout the Old Testament. At, at one point in time, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he came back with two. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, those were already given also in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. And, and Jesus kind of summarized everything in the Ten Commandments into the Two Commandments. And now he's giving a new commandment, so something completely different. And yet, it sounds a whole lot like those two, doesn't it? This is what Jesus said. Love one another just as I have loved you. Does that sound pretty similar? And yet it is completely completely different. It's, it's not loving God with all your strength. It's not loving your neighbor as yourself. This is loving one another in the way that God loved you. And, and how did Jesus love us? Well, Jesus' love gave all. Now, who did he give all for? I remember who was around the table that night. We have Peter, who in just a few hours is going to deny even knowing Jesus. We have Thomas who, who doubted that he, well, pretty much everything. We have Judas who betrayed Jesus. 
We have James and John who, who moments after giving the, getting the greatest sermon illustration ever about what servanthood looks like start to argue about who's greater between the two of them. Then we have the ones who fell asleep at his hour of need, the ones who scattered that night in the garden as the soldiers approached, the ones who didn't dare show their face at his trial or his crucifixion. And Jesus washed all of their feet. His love moved him to action, but it didn't stop with the towel. It was deeper and it was richer. See, Jesus said there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friend. And every time we see this in real life, like we unfortunately did this week at the Covenant School in Nashville, or with Officer Crumbie, we, we, we recognize immediately that is what love looks like. Right? The beauty of love is right there in sacrifice. But Jesus gave in a way that no one else ever has or ever could. See, the, th- the sorrow of Thursday evening is not just the knowledge of the physical pain that lay ahead of him. It wasn't just giving up in his life and death, but it was this taking on the, the full brunt of the wrath of God in a way that we can't possibly imagine. See, it drove Jesus to an agony so deep, this anxiety that was so uh, all-pervasive, that he's sweating blood as he's waiting there and he's begging, asking his father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. See, one time Jesus didn't get what he prayed for. And yet what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus gave his all for people who didn't deserve him. He gave his all for those who cried out in anger and disgust and rage. Jesus gave his all for those who abandoned him. Jesus gave his all for those who doubted and questioned him, for those who rejected and nailed him to the cross. He gave his all for each of us who know that we owe a debt that we cannot pay. See, Jesus stooped down when we were low. He embraced us in our filth, and he gave everything to pay what we could not, to take our sin and our shame upon himself. See, see, Jesus invites to the table tonight those who are low, those who are messy, and those who recognize that they need someone to give all for them. That's what this table is for. That might be you tonight. And yet there's so many of us who, who struggle with this idea, who are, who are kind of like Peter. Jesus, you're too good for me. Jesus, you don't, maybe you don't know the, the depth of my sin and my shame. Jesus, if you only knew what I know, you would have never made that offer for me. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I see you. I know you. I feel you. I get messy, messy with you, and I give it all for you. See, Jesus says, I'm not afraid to go where you are because I want you to be where I am. So all who acknowledge their need for Jesus, who say, I can't love in the way that he loves, who gave his all for me, everyone is welcome to the table. Jesus took the bread that night and 
as he broke it, he said, this is my, my body given for you. Take and eat it. And when you eat it, remember me. Remember what I did for you. And he took the cup that night and he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. My blood for you. When you drink it, every time you do, remember me. Remember what I've done for you.